But the mistake they made is to think that money can solve the problem. And they go straight out to try to raise funds. And unsurprisingly, they, 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 they can't raise, right? They would be better served if they start building the business, thinking about what sort of resources they have. Solve the step one to step two problem first, get themselves to that stage, and then start the fundraising process. Hey everyone, we've got an action-packed episode for you today with Ivan Hu, who provides valuable information when it comes to fundraising. He shares advice on how and why founders should take a structured approach when it comes to fundraising, and we also hear about his entrepreneurial experience prior to giving advice to startups. Let's dive into the conversation, and don't forget to subscribe if you enjoy this. Ivan Hu, welcome to Innovators Collab. How are you doing? Very well, thank you, Eric. How are you doing? I'm pretty good. Really excited to have you on the show. I've been learning a lot about you from your content on LinkedIn the past couple of months, I would say. Let me give a background to the audience so they get a, they get to know a little bit about your history and uh, kind of understand who you are. You support startups as an advisor, assisting in the preparation of investment documents. You help guide them through pitch presentations, term negotiations, and the due diligence process. You've also had the privilege, privilege of helping them secure over $30 million in funding, 30 million pounds, actually. And some of the startups have earned backing from Founders Factory, IQ Capital, G4, Cedars, and Fuel Ventures. I'm excited for this because a lot of our audience are in the startup space. A lot of them are founders, and I think we're going to have a wealth of valuable information to share with them. But to warm up, what's something interesting about you, Ivan, that most people don't know? They're not going to see this on your LinkedIn profile. Oh, a, a good question. Well, something people don't know much about me, just looking at my LinkedIn profile, is the fact that I was a aspired artist for some time. So at the university, I started doing photography. I pick up camera and I got in the wall, right? And people start inviting me to do photo shoots, covering the events. So I pick up a few gigs as a wedding photographer for a couple of years. So that's <laughs> most people don't know about me. They, they thought I'm the finance, the, the numbers guy. But yeah. I've got the artistic side of me as well. All right. All right. How many weddings did you do? Oh, about six plus about four pre-wedding events. Yeah. So it's quite an Asian thing. Before the wedding, you do a proper wedding photo shoot. You travel to exotic places. You hire a wedding photographer to go with you, take a proper photo shoot in your wedding gown. Okay. So that, that's what the Asian do. And they pay quite a good sum of money as well. Okay. Weddings in Malaysia, very curious here. How long do they go? What, what are they like here? Because here in Romania, they go to like 5 a.m. in the morning. I kid you not. And the wives, not the wives, the brides, sometimes they get kidnapped. And it's a fun game where the, the friends of the groom, they kidnap the, the bride for like an hour or two and they demand <laughs> some kind of payment, usually in the form of liquor or money, and they return the bride. But they, they go to 5 in the morning, the weddings here. So what are they like in Malaysia? Wow, wow. Well, wedding in Malaysia is fairly traditional. It follows a lot of customs, religions, you know, rituals that we have to go through. So I actually think your wedding there is very exciting. It's fun. <laughs> I, I think ours finish at around 11, 12, lots yeah. of booze, and then you send the brides and the, the groom back to their room. That, that's yeah. it. There you call off the day. <laughs> yeah, that's how they typically are back in the States. When I got here, it was a culture shock. And I just couldn't yeah. believe how there was like a six-course meal, a different course every hour and a half or two hours. And yeah, you know, 4 or 5 a.m. in the morning. If you go home before 2, it's kind of like, man, you're a party yeah. member. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sounds like a lovely place. 
Yeah. Okay. So aside from the, the wedding photography business there, what other entrepreneurial things did you ever do before you, you became an advisor to startups? Oh, um, so I was trained as a scientist at the University of Cambridge. I always aspired, well, at that time, I aspired to be a scientist until a research project in the summer with my professor changed my mind totally about science being a researcher. So I went into startups after that. And the first startup I joined is a biotech company backed by a VC. They were looking for somebody to run the team, right? But I saw the opportunity. I, I, I went to the VC and I say, I think you are not looking for just an employee. You're looking for somebody who can take the load off you and run this business, help you to manage a team, build a business. So there I was. I was around 22, fresh out of uni. Yeah, why, did they, why, why did they believe that you could do this, Ivan? <laughs> you're fresh out of like, you know, university and you're that young. Uh, so what kind of team was it? Well, that's a few reasons, right? First, I, I was brave. I was naive. So I had the guts to go to the VC to pitch for the job. So I was at the right time, right place with the right attitude. When I say right time, right place, it's because the company has been going on for 10 years now, right? So the company backed by the VC 10 years, you, you know what happened with VC? They get tired, right? Now this VC is slightly different from other VCs against his partners and all the other LPs. He continues to back this company. And, and looking back, I, I sincerely think that he should have left it at that point, cut a loss. Yeah. But he believed in the idea. So the company left with only two scientists at the time. And okay. I was the only entrepreneurial one who yeah. can do the job. So I pitched at the right time, right place. And what's that company? What's the name? It, it's called Insentinel. It's a also known as the Sniffer Bees company by the media. Okay. Was this the cutlery yeah. or the something to do with meat or something? Not quite. So it's literally the sniffer beast. So you know the sniffer dogs. The police okay. use dogs to check and train them to detect explosives and drugs, right? What we do is quite similar, but we train the honeybees to do those jobs. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. Okay. Who are your clients or who are the customers? Well, it'll be home office, the, the DHL, because they need to search for the narcotics or the homeland security, that sort of places. And we work with DARPA, for example. We had a project going on with them. We also did some work with Rental Kill. Uh, this is quite a topic, by the way. We, we, we see how the bed bugs are spreading across Europe now, right? We talk about pandemic. Yeah, especially in bed France, bugs. I think. Yeah, France. And it's now, well, in the UK as well. And Last I heard, Bristol, which is about two hours from where I am, is infested with bedbugs as well. Wow. So this is a pandemic that's going on. But if you speak to the specialists, they knew this all along, 10 years ago. So we were approached by Rent-A-Kill, which is a huge public listed company focused on pest infestation control, right? And they were looking for solutions to detect bedbugs. Okay. And they found us, Stiffer Beast, and they say, can we train sniffer bees to find bedbugs in the hotels? So we did the project with them. Okay, but when the bee finds something, right? We're talking about bees, like honeybees, right? Yes. Okay, yes. when they find something, how do they how do they tell you that they found something? Because a dog usually just barks, right? What does a bee do? Well, there, there are two ways we, we can use honeybees to detect and let them indicate and tell us what they found. One way is the free roaming bees. So the idea is very simple. You train the bees you detect something, you release them. And as they fly towards the target, 
you detect them from the radar or the sensor attached to the bees, so you know their whereabouts. Okay. Right. So that's one method, which is what used by DARPA in states to set, to detect the landmines or IED in the battlefield. But what we do here in the UK at Insentinel is that we train them in a handheld device. So imagine there's a cage with some infrared sensor. You put the honeybees in there, you already train them to react to certain things. And every time they react, they throw out their tongue. It is what we call prosthosis. Okay. And as they throw out their tongue, it crosses the infrared sensor gate. And our electronics will tell us that this bee has been trained to, let's say, C4, stick out the tongue, that's a positive. Now, we know bees are animal, as animals, they, they react quite differently, right? So one bee may not be enough right. in case that's a false positive. Right. We're going to have six bees in a cartridge. Instead. All of them trained to C4. So if there's, let's say, four out of six or five out of six that sticks the tongue out, then the likelihood of detecting the C4 is more convincing. Oh my God. Is there some sort of like reward mechanism for the bees? At all? There is. It's, it's how we train them. It's called Pavlovian conditioning, right? Yeah. Same thing like how we train the dogs or how we train dolphins, for example, or pigs to truffles. The way we train honeybees is that we feed them with sugar water. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Oh, my God. <laughs> I had no idea <laughs> this about you. I've learned two interesting things about you. I, I, mean, I thought you were just, you know, really good at recommending advice for startup founders on how to fundraise, but there's so much more to you. <laughs> Well, I think it's actually because of that experience three years at the startup that makes me very effective at what I do today. Yeah. So that three years, I've wore many hats like the founders today. You got to fundraise, you got to build a team, you had to fire people quick, you got to do the products, which is in my world, that was research, doing research with honeybees, literally reading lots of literature, etc. And you do commercial stuff as well. Okay. And during so, that part... No, no, go ahead, go ahead. And it, it was during that three years, I learned what I, I'm good at and what I enjoy doing. All right. And since I built a career in advising startups. Okay. Now let's take that. Imagine you're in a cozy coffee shop, right? And you're giving advice to a fellow founder. What's the one piece of advice or unconventional wisdom you'd share with him about fundraising that most founders overlook, Ivan? Okay. So don't raise money too early. Think about how you can run the company, build the traction, find the resources you need to build a business. Money should always come only after you got the traction, right? A lot of the mistakes made by founders is that when they build a business, they start with a plan, right? Mm -hmm. They have all these visions. They need these resources here and there. And they start mapping the plan from step one to step five, which is great, right? You got to have a vision. But the mistake they made is to think that money can solve them. And they go straight out to try to raise funds. And unsurprisingly, they, 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 they can't raise, right? They would be better served if they start building the business, thinking about what sort of resources they have. Solve the step one to step two problem first, get themselves to that stage, and then start the fundraising process. Okay. Traction, obviously, maybe some revenue coming in, a few customers. Is there sort of like threshold that that you would recommend to at least get past before they start the fundraising? There is a hierarchy of traction and traction doesn't always necess necessarily needs to be revenue. Depending on your business model, for example, uh, I spoke to a founder recently and straight out in the page, he told me that he's not going to monetize his app 
in the first year. Well, obviously that, that surprised me, especially given the, the climate we, we are in today, right? It's all about unit economics, getting revenue, sustainable business model. But he came up with a very logical answer to that. He said, this is a market that I currently have very few competitors in this region. I've seen how this model works in States and I'm replicating this in the Europe. Now I can start monetizing and charging a lot more revenue today if I want to, but I think as a general plan, I'm better served and can grow the business faster if I focus on the user growth. And he went on to continue to tell a very compelling story about how he built the other parts of the business, attraction, the team that he built together. So at the end of the story, you listen to it and you say, well, actually, yes, although I would love to see the revenue, but I, I think his plan sounds logical and he has built other things. He's done the work, right? He's not just sitting there and say, I need your money to invest into the business before I can do anything. So revenue is not the only traction people are looking for. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. Much better to capture uh, user growth if there's no competitors in the marketplace. What are some other interesting startups that you've worked with or have seen recently that have captured your attention? Doesn't matter if they fundraise or not. Any interesting things that you've seen lately, Ivan? Ooh, the pets of my job is that I'm seeing hundreds of startups each year. And I have the pleasure of working with about 20, 30 at any time. I've worked with a company called Alga Pelago, for example. They try to build a seaweed farm up in North Devon. Very exciting because it's not something that's been done in the UK at this scale before. I'm working with a company that uses silver nanoparticles to to prevent foot foliage okay. in fridges and packaging. So by making the packaging materials of food in supermarkets, they extend the shelf life by about two, three weeks. Are there typical industries that you tend to focus on, like maybe biotech or something else? No, I'm fairly sector agnostic. I've worked with SaaS, clean tech, marketplace, subscription business model, all sorts. Okay. And what, what re, are you mostly region focused? Cause I know you're based in the UK and I'm thinking mostly, m most of your clients are in Europe, but are they all over the place or just centrally located, located here in Europe? I tend to work with companies that are based in the UK. And there's a few reasons for that. As part of my work, when I do investment readiness, like financial model or investor deck, that is quite flexible. I can work with companies in Malaysia, in States. In fact, I've advised a couple of companies in states before that doesn't require local geographic knowledge right but when i advise a founder about how to raise funding how to run their business the commercial the strategies all things it requires local regional knowledge for example if somebody asks what is the right pre-money valuation what's the benchmark what's the amount of money i should raise at this stage that is quite regional specific. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I liked about your about you is is your LinkedIn about page. And I was looking at it earlier, and I think you have different service offer offerings that you offer. For example, they could hire you maybe on a month to month basis, or even just like an hourly phone call. So, what are some of the services that you do offer, and can you share that with the audience? Yeah, sure, of course. So the main offering I do is the financial model. I'm the numbers guy. A company at early stage as a founder, you unlikely to going to have a CFO or somebody in, in your team that can build the finance. So I help you to build the financial model. I coach you on the numbers so you can explain it to your shareholders. That, that's why I do financial model. I also help the companies to, to raise funds, taking a more involved role as an advisor or interim CFO. So that means 
joining the company on the investor deck, pitching to VCs or family office, sitting at the room, listening to the negotiation and help the founders to understand the term sheet they, they receive. Now, I've been in the space for many years now and I've a network of other advisors and that is very important when you come to closing a deal. How can you find the lawyer? How can you find the right accountant, tax advisors to advise the founders to close the deal? So I bring in my network as well during the, the fund closing process. Okay. Are there any resources that you can share for founders that are more, more interested in the financial model aspects? I think you have a lot of resources that you've shared over the, over the past few weeks on LinkedIn, but I'm wondering you know, on your website, is there a specific document or case study or anything that you could share that people could go to and check out? Well, Glancy, so I, sh- like you pointed out, I post uh, on LinkedIn weekly, daily sometimes, about all things related to financial model, about fundraising, about startups in general. So from time to time, I've got some documents. I think I've got one specific to how to raise fund. There's a 10 steps process about how to prepare those documents, etc. Okay. There is one document that I'm about to release in about two to three weeks time, specifically about financial model. So got I it, got it. We'll share. include that in the show notes for everybody listening. Okay. And last question before we go to rapid fire here, any memorable or even hilarious fundraising stories from your experience, Ivan? <laughs> Yes, there is one. There is one. So I advise a founder raising about 650k from, and in the end, he secured the money from a seat VCs, right? And the negotiation took a while, about two months, and I had to go on holiday. So I took a break. I went out to Lake District, and then I got a call from this founder. Now I knew the negotiation is going on, so I expected something along that line. And the founder said, Ivan, we got the offer and it's not something we were looking for. What should I do? I said, okay, what, what sort of offer did you get? Now, the founder offered 20% to the VC. The VC wanted 25%. It's 5% difference, right? Yeah. But to the founder, it means a lot. So I asked him, how flexible are you with the percentage? He said, well, I am flexible, but I like to be as low as possible, right? What sort of justification can we go back? Do we need to produce the numbers? Look at discounts, cash flow, or venture capital matter. Ivan, give me some solutions. And I say, well, first simple, go back to the VC and say, you want 25%. I offer 20%. Why don't we cut in the middle? He said, is that right? Just like that? I said, yes, that's it. That's all you need to do. And, you know, lo and behold, he got it at 22.5%. Yeah. Yeah. No, sometimes they think that it requires like a big solution. Right. Or really deep solution for something that's so obvious. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, no. Let's go to just go back, connect with the VC who wanted to invest anyway. Right. But everyone yeah. just want a little bit of sweeten, uh, sweet, to sweeten the deal. So cut right in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to rapid fire. First question for you. Give me the first thing that, that you think of. Okay. You ready? Okay. Yeah. Let's go. Fill in, fill in the blank here. The Academy Award for blank goes to Ivan. The Academy Award for startups. For startups. Okay. Okay. Blank is an unusual food you consume. Well, porridge with chili. With chili. Yes. Chili okay. oil in porridge. My wife thinks I'm weird. That's unusual. <laughs> I mean, I've never heard that. Chili and porridge. Okay. Well, there is actually chili and porridge. So. Porridge in the sense of Asian porridge made with rice, not 
oats. Yeah. But normally you consume savory rather than chili spice. Yeah. But it turns out I'm not the only one who does it. Apparently in Sichuan, in China area, there there's people who, who eat porridge, spicy porridge. So Yeah. We love the coconut rice when we order some Thai food. And I don't know if they eat coconut rice in Malaysia, but got a helicopter over here. But chili on, on the coconut rice may be good too. Because of the, you got the sweet and savory and the spice in there oh, too. Yeah. yeah, I guess I need to try uh, that I've out. I've not had coconut rice porridge before. That's yeah. interesting. I'll yeah. go with that combination. <laughs> okay, last question. <laughs> last question for you. Blank is how I want to be remembered. Well, if somebody is going to write something on my tombstone and quote, what has Ivan achieved? Why has Ivan not? I would say kindness. Kindness. All right. Okay. Ivan, thank you so much for coming on Innovators Collab. I'm going to put links to Ivan's LinkedIn profile and website in the show notes. Ivan, pleasure to have you here. Pleasure is mine. Thank you, Eric. Yeah, my Thanks pleasure too. Me. Yeah. And for everybody listening, we'll be back next week with another. Well, this is kind of unusual because mostly I have founders. So I don't really have too many advisors or people from, you know, VCs or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you stuck out on LinkedIn and I knew that this was going to be a good show. So that's why I had you on. But for everybody listening, tune in next week and we'll have another European startup founder on Innovators Collab. Thank you. Thank you. Hey there, I want to thank you for listening to the show. If you are new here, I interview European startup founders and ask them to share their best practices when it comes to growing their business. Ivan is an exception. I've been following his content on LinkedIn, which has a lot of humor and I find it very valuable. So I wanted him to share his knowledge with you guys. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show. Please tell others about it. That's how we grow. And don't forget to check out the Innovators Can Laugh Media Network, where we have 15 B2B influencers that can help you grow your brand across podcasts, newsletters, YouTube, and LinkedIn. You can learn more at innovatorscanlaugh.com. Okay, this is Eric signing off.